Stay tuned. Click, listen, enjoy. Broadcasting live worldwide. Thank you for tuning in to Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. I want to remind you again that if you want to help out Hask, today is the day to do so. They have matching funds. If you want to do it in memory of Rabbi Chaim Waxlack, who we did a special for last week, go to this is Hask slash Talkline. Donate whatever you can. This is Hask, that's spelled H-A-S-C. And a reminder also, by the way, that we're with you today, Sunday, actually tomorrow, Sunday, on WOR 710 at 9 p.m. We're on WABC 770 a.m. at 11 p.m. Our premier guest on 770 a.m. is Dennis Prager. Right now, we're joined by Blima Marcus. She's a DNP, RNANP-BCOCN, an oncology nurse, practitioner, adjunct professor at Hunter College, public health advocate. She has published and lectured widely on increasing vaccine confidence in providers and parents of children. She has consulted for the CDC and the New York City Department of Health during the measles outbreak in 2018-19. She is also the founder of the Emerson Initiative, a nurse-led organization dedicated to providing communities with evidence-based health information and undoing harmful misinformation. She's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, New Yorker. Welcome to TalkLine. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you. Thank you. So how are we doing in getting the message out that vaccinations are really important when it comes to COVID. I know with measles, there was some resistance in some segments of the community. How are we doing now? I'm still seeing a a very big divide among the people who have been concerned about vaccines in the past or people who uh, COVID created a lot of concern about, you know, science and how things happen and whether things are politicized. There's a a very big divide amongst those people who are now very concerned about the vaccine and feel that it might be very unsafe and too soon to get it. Um, But then I'm also seeing a lot of people really trying to get vaccines for their elderly grandparents, family members who may have other conditions. So I'm kind of seeing two things happening at the same time here. But would you say overall that more people are interested in getting the vaccine? I wouldn't say that. Not yet. It's also not really available to most people yet. So maybe some people are feeling like it's not relevant yet when it's widely available and it's easy to get an appointment because right now we know how difficult that is. I think I'll have a much better idea of, you know, how how interested people are in getting the vaccine. But I, I don't think that it's very widespread just yet. Now, as far as COVID is concerned, You've seen and you're out there and you're pushing for people to wear masks and to be social distance and to comply. And, and but I but yet in certain neighborhoods, it's not only true of the Jewish community. I hear this all over. You go to Florida, for example, people are acting mm-hmm. like COVID mm-hmm. doesn't exist. You go to yeah. other areas, it doesn't exist. But how mm-hmm. do we get the message across? Cause I know in Israel, the numbers are coming out that unfortunately, even now, the Haredi community has been hit hard by COVID, more so than the general population. Yes. Is that message resonating at all in our community? 
I don't think it's really resonating. And I think that there's a lot of um, kind of fatigue from, from COVID overall. I think people were really careful back in the spring when we were hit so hard. But then there was a lull. The cases really, really dropped, at least in the from neighborhoods for, you know, the end of the spring through the summer, early fall. And then it started rising again. And at that point, I think people felt a little... Um, disheartened and they felt like it was just taking too much out of them and they also weren't sure of what to make of conflicting messages you know as we update science and learn more messages and you know public health behaviors are updated on best practice and people just you know kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. it's just too much to keep track of so um it, you know the behaviors kind of aren't really compliant lately but now I'm getting more concerned. I know we have more variants floating around the United States. And I think in from communities and in the ultra-Orthodox communities, we're starting to see an uptick in some cases, particularly in young people and in pregnant people. So I think there's, I'm seeing more concern among community members. So how are you getting this message across that we should be more vigilant? We're not really getting the message across. I find that some people are um, kind of internally getting the message and are trying to follow the behaviors as carefully as they can. But I was just talking to someone who said, you know what, it's so difficult in this community because, quote unquote, no one wants to be the idiot in the mask. When the entire community is really not following the public health guidelines, it becomes really difficult to be the only person. And just today on Shabbos, I took a walk to someone and I was wondering, should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? You know, I had COVID. I had antibodies. I got both of my vaccines. The likelihood that I will catch it now and transmit it is really low. But on the other hand, you really want to keep modeling good behavior so that others can feel comfortable doing that. But the question, though, is, though, people are saying, and this is where the confusion sets in, like Dr. Fauci, he's the expert. Now, people, mm -hmm. he's saying that even after you get your two vaccine shots, that you should still wear your mask, you should still social distance. Mm -hmm. I've seen some reports that we should social mm -hmm. distance until 2022, which is more than a year away. So people are getting mixed messages. I want to take the vaccine, but... If I do take it, I still got to conduct myself the same way I'm doing now. So what's going on? People are confused. Absolutely. So there's a couple things to keep in mind. First of all, if you get the vaccine, you're protected from COVID. And the studies found a 95% effective rate. And that doesn't always translate into an exact effective rate in the entire community because vaccine behaviors depend on the entire community's vaccination, which is why in the measles outbreak, just a small segments of people who don't vaccinate can cause an outbreak. So we have to first get the entire community vaccinated before we can truly scale back our safety behaviors. But they're not wrong that saying that even if you get vaccinated, you still have to go by the inconveniences of still being careful in your community and, you know, maybe avoiding large simchas. But realize that the benefit of being vaccinated, despite all that, is that you're much less likely or almost, you know, 5% of a risk of catching COVID and transmitting it to others. It's still a very, very, very significant benefit over here. Here's one of my, one of my listeners brought out. He said to me, he's Haredi, and he himself has been wearing a mask. But the problem is if one family member, if you have large families, if one family member gets COVID, then unfortunately everybody gets it. So this is some of the problems that we face in the community is that even when you're vigilant, but when you have such large families in such close quarters, the risks are greater even if you are social distancing and wearing a mask because of what I just mentioned. 
Absolutely. That's definitely true. And that's made it even more challenging for, you know, ultra-Orthodox and Haredi families to abide by these rules. And it's been even more difficult since schools opened this fall, because once one child is positive, all of the kids have to stay home in quarantine. And I know that, you know, some of the more religious schools have not really been following these guidelines so carefully. And although it's not good, I can, I can definitely understand that because every time there's a positive case that someone is exposed to, you're now quarantining whole families. And it does make it very difficult when you're living in close quarters and in the ultra-Orthodox communities in Bar Park, in Williamsburg, um, in Monroe, you know, and definitely in, in Israel, when you have large families in tight quarters, the, the rates increase. Um, it's much harder to isolate and quarantine and to be safe. So, I mean, my takeaway message for that is just that it's even more important to try to be as careful when you can. It's even more important to get vaccinated when it's an opportunity for you and all of that. So here's the question. So you're out there. You're part of the community. You're Haredi. So is that message resonating with people? Are people find, find they don't like to be lectured to, and therefore they don't really accept what conventional wisdom should tell them to do? I think that's true. I think people don't want to hear it anymore. I think people are starting to, or not starting to, I think people are believing a narrative that feels more comfortable to them. Um, where many people feel that there's herd community in the community, and there might be a certain degree of truth, but it's not enough because assuming that most of the community is immune doesn't mean that we will still not have community members fall sick and maybe, you know, got through but die. So it's still not good enough. But, they, but they're believing in herd immunity. Um, they're not really seeing evidence of large cases right now. And with large families living a very, very social lifestyle, which is what goes on in ultra-Orthodox communities, it becomes very, very difficult to, you know, engage in social distancing and avoiding, you know, simchas and avoiding all of the shul going that takes place in a really firm community. But I, I really like to ask people to at least wear masks in that setting because it doesn't really, although it's inconvenient and not very comfortable, it still is another way to mitigate your risk of if you're harboring the virus, at least you won't give it to other people or at least you'll lower that chance. Well, I had somebody who was a friend of mine invited me to a simcha in Borough Park. And I asked him, anybody wear a mask? He says, no, you only wear a mask when you go to the bank. So <laughs> so it's a joke, but the point is yeah. that people feel that the worst is behind them. And it's a real challenge. I don't know what the answer is. How do we communicate with people? That it's such a challenge. You know, I work with a couple of physicians, and they're, and they're Jewish but not religious. And one of them said to me, you know, Blema, I was in Midwood and not a single person with a mask. What is going on there? And I, I couldn't answer because the truth is, is that I understand the mentality of a community of Orthodox people who have gone through their first wave in a tightly compacted way, you know, from Purim to Pesach in Burr Park in Williamsburg. They really experienced COVID in, in a very horrific way and then got the sense that the worst is behind us. So it, it's it's really hard to explain it. Being part of the community, I get it, but it still upsets me because asking people to wear a mask and not congregate in large groups, to me, doesn't seem like it's asking that much when we're in the middle of the worst pandemic in 100 years. So it still frustrates me, even though I kind of still get it. Tell us about yourself. Uh, you are in part of the Haredi community. You became a nurse. You're a professor. How did that all come about? It's not typical to have somebody go through the educational process and become a nurse and a professor in the community. How did you, how did it come about? Well, it's not entirely unusual. Um, the nursing profession is full of really from people right now. Um, and 
I, I guess I, I'm just a little more unusual in the sense that I continued pursuing higher education and some people will stop at their bachelor's degree or master's degree, but we are seeing more and more from young women, you know, go back to school continuously, which I think is incredible. And for a period of time, I was president of the Orthodox Jewish Nurses Association, which is an incredible organization with almost two and a half thousand um, religious nurses, men and women of all ages across the United States and international who grow their professions and are growing their career. And um, they're, they're, it's, it's so great to see from women and from men in the nursing profession, because when people are really ill, there's, there's, there's just something about having a from nurse that really makes people just feel better. You feel like you're understood. You feel like if it's Shabbos and you need to ask someone to leave your line on all Shabbos, you don't need to go through that whole rigmarole. So, you know, I've just been very involved in nursing as a profession and in coaching other from young women uh, to kind of keep going back to school, you know, do the best you can, um, kind of juggle other things and, and help advance the profession for yourself and for your peers. So it's definitely something I'm very passionate about. Lima Marcus is our guest, an oncology nurse, practitioner, adjunct professor at Hunter College and public health advocate. She's one of the founders of the Emmis Initiative, a nurse-led organization dedicated to providing communities with evidence-based health information and undoing harmful misinformation. When we come back, <clears throat> we start taking some of your phone calls. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline Network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. With us right now is Blima Marcus. She is an oncology nurse practitioner, junk professor at Hunter College, public health advocate, the founder of the Emmis Initiative, and we're going to take some of your phone calls at 212-769-1925. Email is a wonderful way to have some of your questions answered. What is has what is uh, MS, by the way? Tell us about it. Um, okay. So when I got involved in the measles outbreak two years ago, we, you know, I, I ended up getting a group of nurses and physicians together who reached out and were happy to start doing something about the misinformation and vaccine hesitancy that we were starting to see in the from community. And we realized that there was a lot of room for um, health education. So we started doing that in people's living rooms. We started doing that in school basements. Whoever would give us space to gather with concerned mothers and parents who wanted to understand more about vaccines and whether they're safe or not. We decided to call ourselves the MS Initiative, which in Hebrew, of course, it means honesty. And our acronym stands for Engaging in Medical Education with Sensitivity, understanding that people have questions, um, don't want to be mocked. They don't want to feel like they're you know, unintelligent for not trusting vaccines. They just need providers who are trained in science and in research and providers who have the time and patience to listen to them and go through their issues with them. 
So that's how we were born. Um, and we've been busy with that since 2019, not realizing there'd be another infectious disease, um, you know, not outbreak, but pandemic on the heels of measles. So we've kind of been active since the measles outbreak in reaching from people who are having trouble making sense of conflicting information. Okay, let's go to Stan in Forest Hill. Stan, you have a question for our guest. Go ahead, Stan. Yes, uh, t- two things I'd like to First, uh, you seem to be giving a very depressing situation in the Orthodox community, as if they've had enough. As you said, they're not going to go for shots. Is that what you? Is that what you feel? That they they're not going to go for shots and they're not going to participate. I mean, it, it sounds depressing. What you're saying. I'm I'm concerned too. I think a lot of people don't feel like it's um, safe, and a lot of people feel that once they've had COVID, there's no need for them to have the vaccine. So I am concerned that there won't be a lot of. Um, enthusiasm. I hope I'm wrong. Well, let me, let me say this. Uh, I'm 67 years old. My girlfriend's 68. In my area of Forest Hills, there is a percentage of Orthodox community here in centers. And we have not in this area been able to get shots. But there is a place we went on, New York City Gov Vaccine Finder, where you put in yes. your zip code. We uh-huh. put in our zip code, and uh, we found out Rite Aid in our area, there are two or three stores, had openings and had to, yeah. had to have the shots. And we, I'm, we're getting shots next Friday that fast. It's unbelievable. So I'm just suggesting that maybe some of the Orthodox community can go online to NewYorkCity.gov vaccine finders, put in your zip code, and in your particular area, even Brooklyn, you may be able mm-hmm. to get some things. Rite Aid is opening up. I just found out about it. I'm, I'm taking the shot next Friday, thank heavens. So is my girlfriend. And... Uh, there things are happening, but unless you go online, and which I don't like to do, you're not going to find it. Again, NewYorkCity.gov vaccine finders. Put in your zip code. They'll tell you the stores in the area that may have. You got to call, and then you sign up for an appointment. It's almost automatic. They do. They re-sign you for three or four weeks later for the second. You don't have to go through a lot of paperwork. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad you're able to get an appointment. Oh, I'm, I'm, I was scared because I haven't been able to get anything. I didn't know. I'd have to wait till the summer. But she she got up at 4 in the morning, and I guess that's what it's going to take. Again, NewYorkCity.gov vaccine finders. Look, put in your zip code, and you'll be able to get uh, uh, the possibility of near you. Anyway, thank you, Sir Stan, for sharing that with us, and good luck on the shot. Okay, I will. Bye-bye. Here's an email question for you from Hannah in Crown Heights. I've heard of people getting ill from inhaling the germs of their own masks. At least tell people that when they are outside and no one is around, they can breathe normally. I think it's okay to wear the mask on your chin and move it up when somebody approaches you. Maybe we should also be told to wash the mask or change them often. We'll wait for your response. Um, So I have heard some people think that you can get pneumonia from wearing your mask. That's not true. Um, that's, that's never really happened before. And there are providers who wear masks all the time from surgeons to people in ICUs. They don't catch pneumonia from wearing their mask. That being said, it is a good idea to wear fresh masks as often as you can either afford to, or if you're using cloth masks to wash them, um, just a little note, cloth masks are not very effective. So if you're high risk or you're concerned about getting COVID, um, investing in uh, surgical masks, which are the blue or yellow ones that people wear is a good idea. Um, as for not wearing them outdoors and just lifting them when people come, I think that's reasonable. Um, I know I definitely do that if I need to take a few deep breaths and I'm walking in an area where it's not very populated. I definitely take that break, too. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as well. 
All right, thank you for your email. Let's go to Ilya Rice. I wonder if the nurse ever thought whether the way she talks about the community online, constantly bashing the community and our leadership, maybe might be the reason people are wary of her as the person who is pushing to vaccinate. Might that be counterproductive, how she goes up with people who are pro-Yafid? And in every from community where there has been shot availability, they get all taken up right away, for example. So she seems to be short on facts and long on hyperbole and attacks. That's a very long response. Someone <laughs> has a lot of um, um, thoughts about me. I, I'm definitely very vocal about what I perceive as lack of leadership, whether it's Hasidic or rabbis or whether it's about from organizations that um, do have resources and can utilize them to help guide the from community during these unprecedented times. And we have had so many loss of life that it seems to me a very big shame that we are not seeing more um, unambiguous and direct leadership into helping the from community. So I am very vocal about that. It's not something I plan on apologizing for because loss of life is never acceptable, especially when there's always room for improvement. Um, I, I think I missed part of the rest of that rant. <laughs> I, I think basically what she's saying is that you're busy attacking so people are not really responding to you that if you didn't attack maybe you would get more people listening to what you have to say. I would assume that's the gist of what she's trying to say. Well, I definitely try to engage in a combination of things where I do share a lot of fact-based information. They're usually accompanied by references because that is, as an academic, that is how I do research and that is how I share information. I don't share false information and I don't share opinions unless I make it very clear that it's my thoughts. So I do like to balance both information that I think is important for people to know, as well as pointing out communities that are not being compliant who are starting to have higher rates and a plea to leadership to take it seriously. So I definitely do um, do a little bit of both. And I understand that not everyone likes that approach. Hi, I'm from Barbara Rice. I'd like to ask your guest which Hasidic Rebbe she's referring to. Which Hasidic Rebbe? Well, I recently heard of a couple of Rebbeim in Israel which have taken firm stances on vaccinations and have been really happy about that. I haven't really heard any of the Hasidic Rebbe's in, in uh, the United States um, speak very strongly in either direction, but that would be nice. It would definitely help uh, people make their decision about vaccines if they were given guidance from Rabbanim. Um, the head of Zaka and Israel, by the way, came out very strongly that people should be responsive. And I saw. I was happy to see that. I, you know, I think I think anyone that's in a position of leadership that can provide, you know strong opinions and especially people on the ground. I mean, the head of Zaka, I'm sure, has had more than his share of, of you know, trauma from COVID. I think anyone that can just really share um, a strong opinion on how to help the from community stop losing lives, I think that would be very helpful. BC writes, your guests are providing a much needed service. It's been my experience that older from doctors who run a one-man operation are still using the same equipment they used 30 years ago. Their front desk staff often treats patients like they're working in a bakery, and patients often don't receive the quality care they receive in one of Manhattan's top hospitals. Um, is that a question? For I think me? that's a common question, I guess. Uh, okay. Well, so if this, if if you're if the question is, or if the comment is that doctors or old school doctors don't engage with their patients very well, 
that's not only old school doctors, that's current doctors, that's current nurses. And that's because unfortunately our medical system has become so that you are reimbursed for seven minute client visits. Any time above that, you're not reimbursed. And that puts a huge pressure on physicians and nurses who are seeing people within the medical system who don't have time to sit and talk to, pay, to parents who have extensive questions or lots of concerns. You just simply don't. You're booking 40, 50, 60 patients to see them in a day. And that's a big problem with our healthcare system as a whole. That's kind of why the MS initiative was born to connect parents with providers that have the time or just the passion to sit on the phone with a concerned mother for an hour or two in the evening when the provider has free time. And I just have to say, I'm so moved by the people in my group who are nurses, nurse practitioners, doulas, and physicians from pediatricians to emergency room doctors to ICU physicians who care enough about parents and respect that they have questions and are trying to make the time for them. And they've come to health fairs, they've come to living rooms and had chats with parents and they spend time emailing back and forth and meeting people on the phone, wherever people want to meet at for their questions. We've been trying to do that to, because we understand that in the medical system, there really is no space for these kind of intense uh, conversations that some parents feel that they need to have with their doctors. Here's another email question about, can you tell us about pre-hospital care for COVID-19? Pre-hospital care? Yes, I'm not sure what that means. Maybe, do you know what that means? I don't. Uh, well, there's prevention, um, which of course I talk about all the time, too much. Um, once you have COVID, our recommendation is to stay hydrated and to watch your oxygen because silent hypoxia, which means your oxygen can drop without you even feeling it, is something that has been happening. And I've had people call me and say, well, my oxygen's 90% and I feel fine. So those are really our two recommendations. Isolate at home, don't give COVID to anyone. Monitor your oxygen, try to drink fluids. And if your appetite drops, don't fret about it right away. But there, there's no treatment for COVID. But is there um, unless, anything... you, unless you decompensate, we, we start bringing in steroids, which are very helpful. Can, is there anything that people can do to try to reduce getting COVID? Any things, any, was any medicine? Or Zelenko talks about using zinc and some other, I don't know if he uses hydrochloroxine or some other things that he talks about. What, what can one do to try to reduce getting it? before getting the vaccination. Uh, nothing has been proven to reduce getting it other than not being with another person who has it. So uh, I know people talk about building up their immune system and as an oncology nurse practitioner who I have chemotherapy patients all the time who come in hoping to get their dose of chemotherapy, which is so paradoxical because they hate it at the same time, whose white counts might be low or hemoglobin is low. And they say, what can I do to get my hemoglobin back up or to get my immune system back up. And the answer is, there's really nothing you can do. It's your bone marrow and that takes care of it. And it's a matter of time. So a lot of people like to think that there's something they can do for their immune system. And there's a lot of vitamins and supplements that are called immune boosters. They're, you know, they're probably not dangerous, but they're not really going to prevent you from catching COVID for, for sure. So unfortunately, there's nothing that you can do to prevent it other than public health behaviors. Blima Marcus is our guest, an oncology nurse practitioner, adjunct professor at Hunter College, public health advocate, the founder of the Emmis Initiative, a nurse-led organization dedicated to providing communities with evidence-based health information and undoing harmful misinformation. When we come back, we'll try to take some more of your phone calls. Hi, this is David Gabay, and you're listening to The Zev Brenner Show. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Here is your host. 
And we're back. We're taking your phone calls, 212-769-1925. Email is a wonderful way to have your questions answered. Our guest is Bima Marcus, the oncology nurse practitioner, adjunct professor at Hunter College. Let's go to Hani in Brooklyn. Hani in Brooklyn, your question or comment. Go ahead, Hani. Yeah, I just wanted to make a, a few, um, point out a few things. Uh, my husband had corona right away in the beginning, like March time. He was actually working in a nursing home, and he was really not feeling well. I called up my doctor and he was sleeping a lot. He had low-grade fever, and he said, you know, let me give him hydroxychloroquine with a Z-Pack, and he did, and the coughing stopped. The breathing was fine then, and it took him another three, four weeks, but he was okay. I have the same experience with my brother, who had 105 temperature, and he had people from Hatsala coming in to measure his uh, his oxygen, and you know, hydroxychloroquine, as far as I understand, has to be given initially. It was still within the first five days of when he got sick. They gave it to him. His temperature dropped immediately. He started to recuperate, and from there he went uphill. It took a while. I'm not saying that it didn't. And I myself had corona about two weeks ago. No, actually three weeks ago. And, um, you know, I have underlying conditions. Whatever, I don't want to discuss what they are, but the bottom line is I, I just had terrible headache, fever. I went to the doctor. He said, you know, based on my age, I'm 63. He's going to give me monoclonal antibodies. He sent me to some New York community hospital. I got the antibodies. Yes, I was out of it for like a good four or five days. I was exhausted, sleeping, whatever, but my fever went down right away, and I was fine. So thanks so for your question for our sick, guest is? Okay, so what I'm trying to say is one of the things I learned, and my brother-in-law Montreal had the same experience. People get sick, they need to really be on top of it, and they need to call their doctor. They can't just isolate and stay home. They need to take action, because the longer you have it, the less possibility is of stopping it from going all the way to the other end. And monoclonal antibodies or hydroxychloroquine, if it's giving initially, can really, really help, especially with the Z-Pack. Someone took it without a Z-Pack and she ended up with pneumonia. So I'm just trying to say staying home and just isolating and monitoring your oxygen is not enough. You need to... No, you raise doctor. a very oh, good hold on, let me point, get, Go ahead, let no, you're, you're absolutely right. You raise a very good point. And for people who um, do have some... Uh, whether it's comorbidities or are above a certain age, they definitely should call their doctor and definitely try to get hooked up with monoclonal antibodies out of several things that have been studied. Hydroxychloroquine actually is not has not been shown to work in any clinical trials. Even but I know early. four and five people that were right. 105 temperatures, no, no, and no, they are okay but today. Anecdotes are not really how we make science. You know, people's opinions... It has nothing to do with think. anecdotes. You know what it has to do with saving lives? Well, she, she has that experiment. Let me ask you. Dr. Zelenko did over hundreds of people, and okay. they're all fine. I'm going to, let me let Blima respond to you. And there seems to be some evidence that it does work because people such as our caller on the line has benefited mm-hmm. from it. So I don't know if we can knock it. Well, ahead, well, here's the way it works when we when we look at uh, whether something works or not. Initially, such as during a pandemic like this, when we don't know anything, some people will try anything that has even a small likelihood of working. Then when we can take a step back, we do larger randomized trials to actually see what worked, what did, what did not work when comparing it to either no care or to a different standard of care. And that's how we do science. 
So once we step back from assuming that people who got hydroxychloroquine improved, because as we know, most people improve and most people get better, right? So we would expect most people who get COVID to improve, whether they get hydroxychloroquine or whether they don't. So their personal anecdotes, and even if it's in the hundreds. Now right my now, personal anecdotes. May I, may I say something? Hold on, let, I hold on. Hold on. So, Hani, let, I'm going to let you respond. I'm one okay. to finish, and then you're going to respond. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. Right. So, so although uh, people anecdotally feel that that's what cured them, there's really no way to know if someone would have improved with the hydroxychloroquine or without it until you do the larger randomized controlled trials where you give it to people early on who are outpatient. And I know that, you know, people say that it's not for hospitalized, but even those studies that looked at people that are in the outpatient setting who got hydroxychloroquine early on when compared to people who did not, they didn't recover faster, they didn't have lower rates of hospitalizations, they didn't have lower death. And that's been found across nearly every single study. So right now, that's not the recommended treatment. Ivermectin has been studied. That's not the recommended treatment. Plasma has been studied. That's no longer recommended treatment. Monoclonal antibodies, Baruch Hashem, do seem to be working. So I'm very, very glad about that. And I'm glad you called in because that is a good reminder for people who are at some degree of risk. They should de- they should definitely consult with their doctor because that is something that can be very helpful. Go ahead. Well, I just, wanted, I just yeah. want to tell you something else. I just want to tell you something else. Initially, when Trump said this thing about hydroxychloroquine, they went, uh, it was just political, politicized and whatever. At, uh, about a half a year ago, okay, this is after Trump, a long thing, I heard on the radio, I always listen to different things. I know about ivermectin. I know all these things that you're telling me. I listened to, and they said that there were studies that came out for hydroxychloroquine, and it is proving to be effective in helping. So I'm not sure where they were quoting, and I could tell you one thing. I follow this a lot because I'm very interested in it, and mm-hmm. I definitely heard this. And I said, you know, okay, now he's not in office anymore, so they could say something for him. But it, the bottom line is preventing people from getting help that may really help them, that's a problem. Well, that's why I'm definitely a big believer in the monoclonal antibodies that have now been proven to work. Um, and but plasma works too. It does. That's not what the science has found, unfortunately. Well, my brother-in-law just came from Mount. They brought him from Montreal, Quebec, to Mount Sinai to Dr. Brander, who's a top doctor, and he gave him plasma, and he turned around. My brother-in-law, I'm not even discussing what his oxygen level was. He was between life and breath. And that's what saved his life. Anyway, I appreciate that. I'm glad that he's, you're he- they're healthy and they're saved their lives. And thank you for sharing that on the program. Thank you for calling in. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take some uh, some email questions right now. It seems that the Dr. Zelenko uh, me- me- remedy seems to have a lot of popular support, Palimo. Here's a question that one of our listeners right? Why does she say there's nothing to help cure? There are natural remedies, and Dr. Zelenko was very successful in treating thousands of people get better. President Trump and Mary Giuliani were also treated with medication. Why does the vaccine have better results and it hasn't been proven? So those are a couple of questions. I'm going to try to address each one. First of all, um, I, I think it's very important to note that what Dr. Zelenko studied was not um, 
a randomized trial, nor was it compared to other people, nor did he follow up on particular outcomes, nor did he stratify which patients had which diseases. So what he did was he gave hydroxychloroquine to absolutely everyone that came to his office. And I did get text messages from nurses that work in Karyosyol in that area who told me that they're very uncomfortable with what's going on and what they're seeing. They said he's giving it to people without hydroxychloroquine. There's no follow-up. There's no understanding if people have side effects or not. I feel very uncomfortable with this. And this is something I got from a from nurse back in the spring. So what he actually did, I'm sure he did it for all the right reasons, but that's not how we conduct science. Um, and that's just when we find better science that tops poorly done studies, we follow the better science. That's just simply how the scientific process works. We follow best available practice. So um, I know that people feel very strongly about the hydroxychloroquine. I wish it worked. I saw too many people die. I worked in hospitals. We gave it initially, but all the doctors laughed it off because the science was already coming out showing that it did nothing, both for hospitalized patients, both for outpatients who were getting it early on. If people personally feel that it helped them, I can't change how they personally feel, but we don't judge science on how people personally feel or the experiences of one physician who may or may not have uh, done a very rigorous study. So that's about the hydroxychloroquine. Um, now, you're also bringing up vaccination. There are two very different things over here. We're talking about treating someone who has COVID, right? And then we're also talking about preventing people from getting COVID. And right now in the United States, we're between 450,000 and 500,000 deaths. Um, I'm sure people understand that that's very very, very, very unbelievable. Although we do get numb to these numbers, you know, a year ago, no one would have believed we're almost a half a million people dead. So we have to really remind ourselves that this is not normal and shouldn't be acceptable. And the only way out of any public health pandemic, this happened during the Spanish flu, this happened during polio, um, is with vaccination. And there's been a lot of controversy about herd immunity and letting everyone get COVID. Letting everyone get COVID would mean that we're gonna lose multiple millions of people. So that shouldn't be acceptable to anyone with a moral conscience, okay? We can't allow people to die when there is a vaccine available that has been proven safe, has been proven effective. It's been given to 150 million people across the globe already. So the only way out of a pandemic like this is a safe and effective vaccine. Um, treating COVID once people have it is necessary and we're inching forward with new things that we've learned, things that we uh, did not do during the spring because we didn't know about them. When I was treating patients in my hospital in the spring, we didn't give steroids. We heard from Italy and China that steroids may have worsened it, so we held back from steroids. Now we know steroids actually help and they're really important. So as we learn what works, we're applying them we're doing studies on these things. We're learning how to save lives because at the end of the day, public health officials, doctors and scientists are there to save lives. And people who engage in conspiracies that we're trying to kill more people, that's false and a horrible thing to say. So we both need to work on better treatment for now, but we also need to really focus on mass vaccination. Now, by the way, Dr. Raphael Kelman, who is a resident, he's a doctor, he's a specialist, and acts as a radio show, believes that ivermectin is a very successful means of treating COVID. So I'm just saying what his research hmm. has shown and others have shown it as well. So I guess... Uh, I've heard very uh, limp results. I could be wrong. I'm more than happy to revisit it. But I've been told that people are being given prescriptions for ivermectin left, right, and center, similar to how people were, you know, prescribing hydroxychloroquine all the time. I'm just not a fan of deliberately giving people absolutely anything. But if there is some data to show it, then I'm definitely happy about that. I guess from his experience, he shows it works. 
So yeah, then we get back to the experience versus actual, you know. Well, he's a doctor. Evidence. It's a well-known doctor who's written the book mm-hmm. on, on medicine and very mm-hmm. well respected. I'm just saying what his research has shown and what he's doing. Right. So, well, hopefully, hopefully he's right that it works. That would be a good thing. Right. Yeah. Obviously, if he whatever works, that's the end of the day. You want to help patients. Absolutely. So Sarah writes a good book. My husband had COVID-19 a few weeks ago as soon as he was diagnosed. And we went for monoclonal antibodies and then he got steroids and blood thinner. He got better quickly, Baruch Hashem. We feel it's the monoclonal antibodies that push it to the finish line quickly, which is she what you've been be right. saying. Um, although I think monoclonal antibodies need to be given quickly. So hopefully she got it. Uh, her husband got it soon. But yes, I have been seeing good, good data on monoclonal antibodies. She raises a very good point about blood thinners. COVID-19 is ultimately defined as um, a blood disorder, almost a clotting problem. So I know so many people, young people as well, who have had ultimate problems weeks after COVID-19. A good friend of mine who's 37 had a heart attack a few weeks after recovering from COVID. So one thing that a lot of people have been questioning, if I had COVID, should I get on a blood thinner or not? I think that's a very good question for everyone's individual doctor, depending on your own medical history. But it's a good point to raise. Here's another email question. What has a nurse done to tell patients who were neglected in hospital? The fact is that the well tab is now being excluded from many hospitals. I'm sorry, what? What's the question? What have you done to tell patients who are neglected in hospital? I guess their feeling is is that patients that are alone. That is a huge – That you know, that is actually such a heavy topic. And I'm very excited because my uh, the MS Initiative, we, we started a radio show a couple weeks ago, and that's a topic we're hoping to talk about in the weeks between Purim and Pesach, kind of at the one-year anniversary of when our community was hit. And it's a topic that needs to be addressed with honesty and sensitivity. And the, the, the very short answer, because I know I don't have time for this on your show, but the very short answer is that lack of pandemic preparedness contributed to terrible experiences in the hospital. What you basically had was a shortage of doctors and nurses because many providers were falling ill and you had a surplus of patients. So you have too few staff members, too many patients, a brand new disease, which no one knows what to do with. And then one of the worst things was that we had no PPE. So people were absolutely terrified to go into patients' rooms without masks, without gowns. No one wanted to get ill. Hospitals were actually not even allowing uh, providers to go into the room more than absolutely necessary because if one more nurse or one more doctor gets sick, you can't replace them. So you have understaffing, you have overcrowding with patients and the complete falling apart of hospital systems, which is just horrific. It's horrific for the providers to have to work in those conditions and was horrific for patients who were left in rooms isolated without adequate care. And it was just um, a horrible situation for absolutely everyone involved. As we approach Perm, and Perm is a time, I think, last year when we started to see more of this pandemic hit our community. That's when it really started to become more prevalent. Are are you concerned that we might see because people are not being as careful? I'm a little concerned, mostly because of the variants. Cases have started dropping in the last few weeks, and I've been so relieved. But all the epidemiologists I've been following, their predictions for the last year have been very exact and very correct. And all of them are predicting a, a really huge surge again between Purim and Pesach. Now, I hope that they're wrong, but... If the variants are driving new cases now, and we're definitely seeing that in our communities and we're seeing it in younger people, then I I am concerned for Purim and I am concerned for Pesach. And I'm not sure 
that in the ultra orthodox communities people are going to take it very seriously because you know we've discussed this already they're they're exhausted and and they don't know what to believe anymore so i'm not sure that people will take precautions carefully i i only hope that they'll at least protect the truly vulnerable you know hopefully be careful around your grandparents be careful around people who may have immunocompromised conditions not that we ever truly know if someone is completely healthy or not but i'm just really hoping that um this this poem will be better than last poem Right, and it's not just in our community. I think there's a f general fatigue of dealing right. with people want to get back a look of look what's going on, and they just they just raided a bus of 21 people that were going to a party. Nobody's wearing a mask. They've raided lots of different places and bars where people are just acting like the absolutely. COVID doesn't exist. No, you're absolutely so it's not just right. not there, just there us. Is this is all over. All over. And four people yeah, are tired. Yeah. It's a year. They want to get yeah, back to it's normal a year. life. It's a year. And everyone is tired. I, I, I am so exhausted. I was just laughing to someone. I was saying I forgot how to wear high heels. I haven't been out anywhere, you know, dressed up normally. And it's it's just exhausting on so many levels. You know, when it comes to the from community, I do have extra concern because I also know what a highly social community with shul going three times a day and, you know, Kedushim. There's nonstop simchas and reasons to congregate. So if you have COVID fatigue and you're just not in a from community, there's less opportunity, I think, for being together that often, that frequently. So, you know, and I, of course, I, I have a, an attachment to the community I'm part of. So I definitely worry a little more. And hopefully we're all going to be wrong. Hopefully it's the beginning of the end. Hopefully there's some degree of herd immunity. We're getting vaccines out. I'm really trying to hope there's a light at the end of the tunnel over here. Our guest, Blima Marcus, an oncology nurse practitioner, adjunct professor at Hunter College. She is the founder of Emmis Initiative. When we come back, we continue to take some of your phone calls. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well-prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the TalkLine network and TalkLine's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at TalkLineNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.